You can join the fight to defend employee-funded and association PACs by texting NABPAC to 52886. Message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast. The show is brought to you by NABPAC, the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. I'm your host, Michaela Isler, NABPAC's Executive Director. So today we're lucky to have a great voice in our community with us on the show. Coming up in just a minute, we'll speak to Tommy Goodwin, president of Nile, the National Institute for Lobbying and Ethics, about the government affairs mission and how PACs remain a critical tool in working with policymakers on the issues most pressing for business and their employees. Michaela, Nile does a great job connecting the government relations community and something listeners might not recognize, pressing for more transparency when it comes to lobbying disclosure. And, you know, really right alongside that mission, Adam, Nile offers a terrific educational certification program with a focus on compliance and ethics. They know well that the government relations profession, just like employee-funded association PACs, are misunderstood and that correcting the record requires proactive work and continued engagement. Okay, Adam, let's get to it. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NABPAC activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Thanks, Adam. And now to our discussion with Tommy Goodwin, president of the National Institute for Lobbying and Ethics. Welcome to the podcast, Tommy. Well, thank you both very much. It's wonderful to be here. So it's great to have you join us today. And, you know, Niall and NABPAC have much in common, especially when it comes to the ethical practices of government affairs and campaign finance. Just wanted to see if you could take a few minutes right off the top here and tell our listeners about Niall and the role the organization plays for the industry. Sure. Well, Niall is the national organization that represents lobbying, public policy, and government affairs professionals. And just like NABPAC is the voice of PAC professionals in the PAC community, Nile is the same for the government relations community. And that's both inside the Beltway and nationwide. And we do it really in three ways. One is, as you mentioned earlier, education. We have a public policy certificate program that's really focused on making sure that government relations professionals not only know the nuts and bolts of the profession, but also adhere to the compliance and ethical requirements. That's central to who we are. We also try to take a lead in shaping the future of the profession. And we're doing that right now through a diversity task force that we have that's really focused on really bringing forward a profession that is representative of the communities that we represent. We've done the same thing previously around sexual harassment and advocacy, so we're always looking to uh, to lead there. And probably most importantly, we are an advocacy organization. We are the voice of the lobbying community, the same way that NAMPAC is for the PAC community. And so whether we see bills like HR1 and some of the anti-lobbying provisions in there, or you know, we see legislation at the state level, such as you know SB10 this year, which was going to put a ban on local governments hiring lobbyists, or last year when lobbying firms were, were excluded from accessing the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, we are their voice, and we will carry that message to, uh, to Capitol Hill, to the administration, and to state houses nationwide. So it's a great group of folks. I've been honored to be the volunteer president for the last year and a half or so. And we've got a great team like Paul Miller, our board chair, and Nicole Smith, who is our administrative director. And uh, it, it's a great organization. And we're proud to be partnered with, with an organization like NAPAC. Thanks, Tommy. Um, and I just want to also thank you for having me on one of your panels earlier this year. Just a really great group of folks talking about the challenges in both of our communities right now. You know, for more than a year now, the process of governing has been 
regulated to the virtual realm and no in-person meetings, few if any in-person meetings actually. So from your perspective, how has the pandemic and work from home impacted the work of government affairs professionals in DC and around the country? I think it's been particularly interesting because I, I, I think those, those who are listening to this podcast know that you know, whether it's Congress or the administration or state governments, these aren't necessarily the first organizations that lean into new technology, whether that's using that technology or regulating that technology. And it's particularly unique, I think, for folks in our business because relationship building is ultimately the core of what we do. And, you know, the question I think we've all been wrestling that is, how do you do it in a virtual environment? How do you do it when you don't have the interpersonal dynamics of being face-to-face? You're not running into someone in the, in the halls of Congress. And we've really moved from this world where advocacy took place in this third place, right? It was an office. It was a, it was a, a public forum where people come. And instead, now we're guests in each other's homes. And that really brings some different dynamics to the conversations. But the basics do re- remain the same, right? Whether it's the message, the data you're presenting, this engagement strategy, follow-up, it, it's all the same, but, but the dance is a little different. There's a little bit more nuance to it. And I think folks in our business have had to make sure that, you know, their message is just tighter and crisper than ever. You've got to find a way to both cut to the chase, but not necessarily lose the personal aspect of relationship building and helping people understand why your organization's cause is something they need to get behind. And it's really never been more important to do that. You know, Congress has never done more than it's done in the last year and a half and probably will for the next few months. And when that ride stops, we're going to know who's got a chair and who doesn't. And so the work has been different, but it's never been more important. And I think what's going to be interesting going forward is, you know, my, my, my friend David Lust from Key Advocacy reminded me the other day that, you know, while, while government may not necessarily be the first to embrace new technologies, they're not necessarily the first to move on from them either. So I think once we get past this current iteration of our normal and we can sort of proceed and see what the world looks like post-COVID-19, Tommy, when it comes to a new legislative cycle, a new Congress, there's always a variety of challenges when it comes to getting back up to speed. And one of them is the need to build relationships with new staff as well as new members and new committee leadership. And the pandemic has only made things harder. From your perspective at Nile, how are government affairs teams making the introduction and education mission work right now? Oh, that's such a great question. And, and it's really timely because, you know, good lobbyists, good advocates should always be reaching out, regardless of what the format is. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting, particularly in this time uh, on Capitol Hill, for example, of just such rampant employee turnover. Oftentimes, lobbyists and public policy professionals were the institutional memory. Um, and so, you know, more than ever, we need to continue to reach out. We can need to continue to educate our stakeholders. But in this environment, what we really need to do is just cut the clutter and focus on the outcome, focus on how we can get our message through. And I think some of those tactics have certainly changed uh, over the years, and I certainly think they've changed during the pandemic. I'm not sure if large mass email campaigns are the answer anymore, and I'm not sure that let's just get together face-to-face, and I'll tell you a little bit more about my you know, company or association. I don't think that's the answer anymore. I think if you're engaged in the policymaking process, you have to be upfront and answer the question, so what, before it's asked. And there are different ways to do that. Organizations have certainly been leveraging their grass tops advocates, their leaders in their profession, their industry, their community to help tell that story and make that local connection, which is critical. Lots of folks in my business leverage their connections and leverage third party validation so that, you know, people have that sort of good housekeeping seal of approval before engaging in a meeting or engaging in an interaction. 
And others certainly are, are able to, to leverage their political action committee and be able to deepen the connections that they have there with meritorious lawmakers who are worthy of support. So I think whatever the tactics are, and I think they're different for each organization, just because you're doing it screen to screen and not face to face, it's still just as important as ever and probably more so. And since you mentioned it, let's talk a little bit about employee funded and association PACs. Uh, you know, how are now members doing right now really within their own organizations when it comes to communicating the important role that they play in supporting the overall government relations mission? Uh, this is uh, this is definitely an issue of great importance to the community. And I think sadly, what we're seeing is just the natural and further extension of the anti-lobbyist, anti-PAC rhetoric that has been pervasive in Washington, D.C. and nationwide for ages. And, you know, it's unfortunate because for many elected officials, bashing PACs and bashing lobbyists is good politics for them. And sometimes, you know, certainly coming from the lobbying community, we have put ourselves in situations where we certainly warrant the criticism. I think there's also probably a broader discussion to have about the way that PACs and lobbying and transparency is covered in the media. But, you know, regardless of that, I think what's different now is I think the cadence and volume is just so enhanced. And that is truly saying something. And it really comes down to, in some cases, the absolute willfulness characterization of what PACs are, what lobbying is. And now we're being just swept up in this broader anti-corporation, anti-expert rhetoric and ongoing attacks. And whether it's, you know, the, the, the op-ed we saw recently in the Wall Street Journal, I'm not even going to dignify the author by naming him, but, you know, talking about, you know, whether it's woke capitalism on the right or there's, you know, anti-corporate, anti-business rhetoric on the left. And I don't think it's any different for the association community either. And, you know, whether it's the Ban Corporate Tax Act, whether it's some of what we're seeing in H.R. 1 or the other anti-lobbying, anti-political activity bills that we'll no doubt see over the next couple of years in the 117th Congress. You know, I do worry that this is going to be with us for some time to come. So I think we need to keep communicating. I think we need to certainly amplify the message of groups like NAMPAC and others who are supporting it in the community, because I, I think we're, we're going to be in this one for the long haul, unfortunately. Yeah, this controversy is one that has come back. It is fearsome at the moment. But of course, even our founders appreciated that there's a fundamental right to redress grievances or anything with the government. And lobbyists and advocates do that at every level in our nation, Tommy. And that's what Niall stands up for and is always seeking transparency and compliance and the most effective way of being those kinds of advocates. But for us in the PAC industry, especially among association and employee-funded PACs, the transparency and the accountability is really built in. The Federal Election Commission provides detailed oversight and public disclosure. From your perch, how do you see this onslaught? And is it different? I know you mentioned it's been going on for a long time, but the tenor and tone of the politics seems to be a lot different than we've seen it in the past. Am I feeling that differently than you are? Adam, it's, it's funny you mention the, uh, the founding fathers. The first example in America of collective political engagement goes back to 1768 when 20 business owners formed the New York Chamber of Commerce and Industry. The idea of individuals coming together to amplify their collective voice and advocacy is nothing new, but it's like we just mentioned, you know, it comes down to that willful mischaracterization and whether that's PACs, whether that's lobbying, whether that's any type of political engagement. And, and let me give you an example of that. 2007, Congress passes the Honest Leadership and Open Government Act. 
And when they passed it in 2007, I, I looked this up, we had almost 15,000 registered lobbyists in Washington, D.C. At the end of last year, we had 9,500 registered lobbyists. So one of two things happened. Either A, there were a third fewer lobbyists in Washington, D.C., which I think we all know is absolutely not the truth, or we've created a regulatory environment that de-incentivizes them to register and engage in transparency around their activity. And we have, for example, there was a former Senate majority leader who was a quote unquote shadow lobbyist for nearly 10 years before he finally registered, right? That is what Niall wants to get rid of. We believe in more transparency in the system because we know registered lobbying isn't the problem. The shadow lobbying, the lobbying that takes place without transparency is the challenge. And if you look at the front page headlines and the scandals from the last administration, none of it came from registered lobbying sources. And it's the exact same for the PAC community. Employee and association member funded PACs are not the problem. You all say this, and I couldn't agree with it anymore. PACs are the most transparent money in politics, full stop. Not super PACs, not 501c4s, not soft money, which, by the way, was banned 20 years ago, but we still seem to be talking about for some reason. If you look at where the anti-PAC rhetoric comes from, particularly among elected officials, the question that I always ask is, were these the likely recipients anyhow? Right. If you look at who political action committees, employee and association member funded political action committees support, they support members who are engaged. They support members who, pandemic or not, keep the drawbridge down. They want to engage with stakeholders. They want to hear feedback. They want to understand the challenges. They're the pragmatic workaday members. You don't make your way into committee leadership doing just communications and just media and just, you know, pulling the pin out of grenades and throwing them rhetorically. Right. The members almost exclusively who are making the loudest amount of complaints in the political process aren't people that I think our PACs would be supporting anyhow. You're exactly right. And we've been saying this is a reform of 40 years that actually has worked. And we've really, as a PAC community, have an unblemished record. If you've been in this business long enough and you've seen the evolution of the campaign finance laws, both at the state and federal level, you know, I've worked in states where, you know, it's so regulated that the business community cannot give. And what happens is that pushes everybody into the shadows. You know, everybody's doing working around the system. Whereas if you have, you know, it all reported, all open, regulated. And to a certain extent, sometimes that's used against us. You know, the fact that we are as transparent has been used against us, but we are the most transparent. And, um, you know, we look at things like this banned corporate PACs act, which you mentioned earlier, which would just be devastating, I think, in the campaign finance system, because we really are the most regulating and moderating force in politics today. And we have the the proof of it. And in some of the studies we've seen out of BYU and University of Massachusetts, But the Banned Corporate PACs Act is just really another challenge that exists right now, um, which was just reintroduced uh, in the 117th Congress. And yet even the most aggressive opponents of association and employee funded PACs appreciate that transparency and accountability are literally built in. Well, you're absolutely right, Michaela. And, you know, one thing I really want to get Tommy's thoughts on is the need to stay engaged. This is something that government affairs outfits in every industry across every state capital know all too well. No one is out there telling your story for you. And additionally, it's you talked about this willful mischaracterization 
of facts out there by activists and activist journalists. It's got to make this GR mission even more vital right now. And you've got to be agile. Talk for a second about best practices from where Nile is about keeping the foot on the gas, but being able to measure and understand what impact you're having. I think you make an excellent point there. Whether you're a lobbyist, whether you're a PAC professional, whether you're from the grassroots community, whether you're doing digital political engagement, I think all of us need to understand that when we look at these laws that are being proposed and we look at the current environment, there is no them in this situation. There is only us. We are in this together, regardless of where we are in in this ecosystem, and we sink or swim together. And I think one of the things that folks in, in our profession know and understand, and certainly on the lobbying side, this is true, oftentimes to affect change, it takes years. Sometimes it takes decades. And so I think one of the things that we're all going to have to do is just remain focused on telling the story, not just to ourselves, but we need to keep the foot on the gas when it comes to telling the story to policymakers. We need to keep our foot on the gas. You mentioned when it comes to the media, I think there is tremendous, almost irresponsibility in the media these days when it comes to covering issues of political action committees, lobbying, transparency. There is a simplification that just doesn't appreciate the nuance of the transparency that lobbying disclosure brings, that the transparency that political action committees bring. And so we just have to keep telling that story. And I think probably in some ways we're going to have to, you know, sharpen the message and the communication strategy. I think this is a fight that we've all been in for some time. But Adam, as you mentioned earlier, we are seeing this in a very, very different light right now. And um, in some ways, I think we probably need to learn from those who oppose us and continue to, uh, to keep sharpening uh, the saw. And there's a wonderful resource on your website, that deck that tells the story of campaign finance over the years. And I think we've seen oftentimes when policymakers engage and try to reshape the system in a way that they think happens, um, oftentimes the unintended consequences are usually the default outcome. And so we need to make sure that we're continuing to engage. We need to make sure that we continue to be agile. But we all need to tell this story together because it's absolutely critical for all of us. I appreciate you saying that, Tommy. And Michaela, it made me think for a second to the end of 2020 as we held our post-election conference. One of the things we heard, perhaps more from association members than anywhere else, was the impact that this two-way conversation with lawmakers was having. Maybe for years, they were pushing information towards staff who were either not engaged or not really interested. And at the right moment, as they continued to engage, they suddenly became a very important trusted go-to, a conduit for making the the right conversations happen and informing members who were suddenly right there on the leading edge of policy that had to happen around the pandemic. That's always the goal. You never know when you can become the right resource, but you have to be there and stay engaged. Absolutely. You know, it may have taken them 20 years, but suddenly when we were in a crisis, you know, they were the first group that was being called to help the country through, you know, and so uh, that we saw that really play out in real time. And, you know, Tommy, as you said earlier, all the tools that we've implemented over the years, this is when you see it all kind of come into action. So tremendous work by many of our probably mutual friends and, and organizations in 2020, even in this virtual environment. Well, Tommy Goodwin, president of the National Institute for Lobbying and Ethics, thank you so very much for joining us today on the Facts About PACs podcast. 
Thank you both and keep up the great work. Thanks, Tommy. And thanks to everyone listening and sharing the number one PAC podcast in America. The Facts About PACs podcast is dedicated to promoting the most transparent and regulated form of political giving and the amazing professionals who lead their employee funded and business trade association PACs. And coming up next week, a fascinating conversation with political science professor Anthony Fowler from the University of Chicago. Don't miss it. And until then, stay safe, stay engaged, and keep moving forward.